This is the fourth day of this November 2019 seven-day session. Uh, today we're going to uh, switch texts. We're going to slide the time bar back uh, a bit to uh, and to China, from Korea to China, and read from uh, the teachings of the great Chinese master Da Hui. And this is from the book Swampland Flowers. The Letters and Lectures of Zen Master Dawei. I'm not going to read his biography. I've done it so many times in previous years, uh, but uh, just to throw a couple dates at you all. He's born in 1088. And he did die, and that was 1163. See, he lives to be 75 years old. <clears throat> I'm just going to pick up in the middle of this uh, book in, in uh, one of the letters he wrote to his disciples. This is the uh, this is the letter. Haven't you read how in the old days Master Zhu Hu said that patriarchs coming from the West only means that winter is cold and summer is hot. Night is dark and day is light. That's the end of Zhu Hu's words. And then Dawei comments. It's just that you vainly set up meaning where there is no meaning. You create concern where there is no concern. Impose inside and outside where there is no inside or outside. And talk endlessly of this and that where nothing exists. Set up meaning where there is no meaning. There's a uh, famous Japanese death poem where the dying man said, Life is like a cloud of mist emerging from a mountain cave and death a floating moon in its celestial course. If you think too much about the meaning they may have, you'll be bound forever like an ass to a stake. In Zen, it's, we see that it's, an, it's difficult enough uh, to just live fully and not live fully without the intervention of thoughts, just to be um, one with every aspect of our life, 
when when we can do that, and it may be seldom, maybe a little more often as we go along, when we can do that, that then meaning is not a problem anymore. That is the meaning. Roshi Kaplow used to say, life is not a riddle to be solved, but a reality to be lived. It's this, this discursive mind that bedevils us, that causes us unrest. But if one is troubled by meaning, the meaning of life, that was my big issue when I was uh, an adolescent. What is the, what is the, the meaning of life, the purpose of life? Then it's a great opening into spiritual practice. It's something you can harness and uh, ride on and on into one's journey of discovery. <coughs> so he mentions here all these things, setting up meaning where there is no meaning, creating concern, imposing these ideas of inside and outside, talking endlessly. And he says, therefore your cessation cannot be perfectly clear, that is your, your, your quieting the mind, cannot be perfectly clear so that you cannot be independent of the senses and their objects. In other words, you're still bound to sense pleasures and pains. He says, by this assessment, you have never you have never come to my place seeking words of instruction, and I have never written a single word for you. He's speaking here, of course, about the from the aspect of of the absolute. Winter's cold, summer's heat, night's darkness, days light, inside, outside, in between, east. West, south, north, have never varied, never increased or decreased the least little bit. What's the reason? Our school has no words and phrases, nor is there any doctrine to give to people. Since there's not a single doctrine to give to people, what's this that's written here? What is it that speaks of winter, cold, summer, heat, inside, outside, and in between? What is it that has never shifted east, west, south, or north a hair's breadth? Bah! As, as with so many other teachers, Da Wei here is, is just looking at, at the two aspects of reality. The, the, the side of movement and change and discrimination and differentiation, and then the other side, that which has never shifted east, west, and so forth. 
when he said there's, there's not a single doctrine to give to people, I suppose one could say, well, what about all this teaching? You know, what about, let's say, uh, the teaching of the Four Noble Truths? What about uh, the teaching of impermanence and so forth? Well, these are, these are just laws. They're not something you necessarily have to believe. You'll, you'll come to it. We come to it eventually because it's the way things are. Everything is in flux. Everything is impermanent. Suffering is pervasive. These, if you call these doctrines, well, all right, but, uh, they're just statements of things as they are. That's what the Dharma means, the law, the truth. Here begins another letter he wrote, a letter he wrote to another disciple. And he starts with the most common breakthrough koan in China and, and in Japan and, and also, I think, in this country. A monk asked Zhao Zhou, Joshu, does a dog have Buddha nature or not? Zhao Zhou said, Mu. This one word, Mu, is a knife to sunder the doubting mind of birth and death. The handle of this knife is in one's own hand alone. You can't have anyone else wield it for you. To succeed, you must take hold of it yourself. You consent to take hold of it yourself only if you can abandon your life. If you cannot abandon your life, just keep to where your doubt remains unbroken for a while. Suddenly you'll consent to abandon your life, and then you'll be done. Only then will you believe that when quiet, it's the same as when noisy. When noisy, it's the same as when quiet. When speaking, it's the same as when silent. And when silent, it's the same as when speaking. So just a couple, pick up a couple things here. Um, this is a knife to sunder the doubting mind of birth and death. The when we're when we're in the grip of questioning, this is what doubting doubting means. And usually in Zen texts, when we're in the grip of questioning and perplexity, this mu or the other breakthrough koans. What is this? What am I? Who am I? This this mu or those other koans and cut through this state of unrest, of questioning. 
when he says you consent to take hold of it yourself only if you can abandon your life. Now, this this does not mean anything as dramatic as doing something, any kind of self-harm. When it says abandon your life, it means abandon your life of thoughts, which is really no life at all. But for for until we've we've let go of it, it's the only life we we have. Most people cling ferociously to their thoughts. So, so to abandon. How do we abandon our life in his in in his meaning? It's to be willing to detach from thoughts and lose ourselves completely in the practice we're working on. When he says, "If you if you cannot manage to abandon your life, that is, leave your thoughts alone." Just continue where your questioning is unbroken for a while. Suddenly you'll consent to abandon your life. That means it's done for us. We don't have to make some decision. Uh, It's just when we are willing to pour ourselves fully into the practice, in this case, the koan, then... It happens. We slip free of these meddlesome thoughts. That's what he means by abandoning your life. And it can be frightening. It's a it's a common experience when one is is um, experiences a fleeting moment of no thought uh, to to feel fear. Probably all of us who've gone that way have had that fear. I hear about it in Doksan commonly enough. It's the, it's the fear of the unknown. We're so used to being embedded in our thoughts. Then, then when they're gone, even briefly, it's jarring and it can be frightening. Our, our underpinnings are momentarily gone. Someone said, uh, the, the problem with meditation is that it's, it's like uh, jumping out of a plane without a parachute. But the good news is, there's no ground. <laughs> there's a lot of, a lot of 
understanding behind that. It can be it can be frightening to have our our uh, coordinates, our time space coordinates suddenly gone because all of that is in the realm of discursive thought. We find out sooner or later that nothing terrible can happen to us. There's this uh, this experience that probably many people have heard about, where uh, someone is released from prison after many, many years in prison, and it's it's. So, uh, it's so frightening to have all that freedom that sometimes they'll commit another crime to go back, to be put back in. They suddenly have the bars gone. It's so counterintuitive. Who wouldn't want that freedom? And yet, so much of it is what we've gotten used to. This realm of no thought, no mind, is something that people seldom experience, and so it's it's uh, unfamiliar ground or no ground. He continues in this letter. During your daily activities, 24 hours a day, you shouldn't hold to birth and death and the Buddha path as existent, nor should you deny them as non-existent. Um, This phrase, birth and death, always remember it really just means uh, change. Don't get caught in uh, what happens to us coming out of our mother's womb and then what happens to us on our deathbed. That's one kind of birth and death. But but it's used much more broadly in uh, Buddhist texts to mean change. The, the uh, world of uh, cycling through suffering And then he repeats, a monk asked Zhao Zhou, does a dog have Buddha nature or not? Zhao Zhou said, Moo. And then another letter. Old layman, your actions and behavior are in subtle accord with the path but you have not been able to get the burst of power. I mean, to to go that final, that final bit, uh, to get beyond the discursive mind. If in your daily activities, responding to circumstances, you do not stray from your past footsteps, Though you haven't gotten the burst of power, still, on the last day of your life, 
the king of death will have to fold his hands and submit. Uh, this is a part of Buddhist mythology, the, the lord of, of the dead, uh, Yamaraja. The, the idea is that when we die, that we come face to face with our karma and uh, our we're judged that way, or we have we uh, consign ourselves to one kind of uh, life or another, re, re, rebirth or not. So he's just drawing from this. He apparently thinks that this is a way to reach this Chang Yang Shu, the uh, recipient of this letter, and he's he's giving him some encouragement. Okay, good. I haven't quite close the deal yet, come to awakening, but still, you're in good shape for uh, when you enter the bardo en route to your next life. And then he says, how much the more so if you reach the moment of realization? Uh, Buddhist teaching is that uh, we are reborn um, in accordance with uh, all of our actions uh, of our life and previous lives as the basis and as our last thought as the governing cause. You could say what we're doing in Sashin is going to indeed serve us well for how to uh, maintain uh, the the uh, poise and calm of mind uh, that will serve us when we're uh, on our deathbed and beyond. He continues, Though I haven't seen you in person, as I consider the things you do, I find that you strike a balance between great and small, without any excess or insufficiency. This is where you are in harmony with the way. See, he's still uh, delivering the good news. At this point, don't have any thoughts of affliction and don't have any thoughts of the Buddha Dharma either. Both the Buddha Dharma and afflictions are extraneous matters. This is pure Zen. You don't need to be dwelling on these things. Be, be be free of them. Yet don't think of them as extraneous matters either. So maybe, uh, maybe this uh, he, he begins old layman. So this fellow may be uh, advanced in years and uh, maybe has uh, signaled to Dawei that uh, he may not have much time left in this life. And then uh, Dawei switches to more general teaching. He, uh, he quotes another master, sentient beings are inverted. They lose themselves and pursue objects. And then he comments, addicted to their taste for petty desires they willingly receive immeasurable suffering. This uh, could give 
many of us the chills uh, when we consider how all right, addicted, how attached to pleasure we are and avoidant of pain, attached to our desires. Naturally, we all have desires of one kind or another, but he's talking here about these petty desires to gratify the senses. In doing so, uh, our attachments are bound to bring us some measure of pain. It's not. It's not that that uh, they're they're wrong, or we're bad to have the crave pleasure, uh, but that inevitably we become attached to the objects of our pleasure, and and inevitably uh, they end at some point. We that is we uh, will not always be able to uh, buy things that will gratify our, our desires, and then uh, we suffer some pain. This is a wonderful thing about the Dharma. It's not, it doesn't have to get into what's good and bad or right and wrong the way some other religions do. It's just, it's just cause and effect. If you get addicted to your cravings, then sooner or later you will suffer. Do you? Is it worth? Do you want that? Do you want to set yourself up? That's all. That's all it's saying, really. He goes on, day after day. He's still talking about sentient beings. This is just a meaning most people. Day after day, even before they've opened their eyes and gotten out of bed. While they're still half awake and half asleep, their minds are already flying around in confusion, pursuing a torrent of vain thoughts. Vain, vain because they all revolve around uh, the self and what it wants. Although their good and bad actions are not yet manifest, before they've gotten out of bed, Heaven and hell have already instantly formed within their hearts. That is, this world of dualities, dichotomies. And when their actions do come forth, they've already fallen into the storehouse mind. According to Buddhist psychology, uh, this is where our uh, delusive thoughts and the actions that arise from them and words uh, are all parked in this alaya vijnana, the storehouse consciousness, where someday they will they will sprout into the effects of our actions and words and thoughts. They've already fallen into the storehouse consciousness, storehouse mind. Didn't. The Buddha say that all the senses are manifestations of one's own mind, that the physical body and organs are the appearances of one's own false thoughts. This is uh, the idea that 
that our bodies uh, are sort of the congealed uh, karma of our of our thoughts. He established ways to show this. That is to show that uh, the physical body is the manifestation of false thoughts, uh, likening them to river currents, seeds, lamplight, wind, and clouds, changing and decaying from moment to moment, unsettled as monkeys, reveling in filth like flies, insatiable as flames fanned by the wind, turning like a water wheel from the habit energy of beginningless falsity, and so on. He's laying it all out for us here. If you can understand thoroughly like this, then it's called the knowledge that there's neither self nor others. Heaven and hell are nowhere else but in the heart of the person while she's half asleep and half awake before she's gotten out of bed. They don't come from outside, that is, heaven and hell. When you're getting started but are not yet underway, when you're awakening but are not yet quite awake, you must diligently reflect back on this, but without struggling with it as you reflect back. If you struggle, you waste power. Didn't the third ancestor say, seek rest and no rest comes instead? So he's um, rambling a little bit here, um, but making the point that uh, to fight ourselves just doesn't make sense. And, and of course it doesn't. And we, we learn this in Zazen, that uh, we don't need to oppose our mind. There's no point in it, but just to... Uh, keep our attention on this realm of no thought, no mind, which can be the breath, mu, another koan, or shikantaza. doesn't need to be a fight against anything. It can be a kind of a fight to keep bringing the mind back to this no thought, um, but we're not opposing anything. And then he quotes another of his predecessors in China, Yongchia. Walking is also meditation. Sitting is also meditation. Speaking or silent, moving or still, the body is at rest. To which he comments, these are not empty words. Please act according to them without ever changing. Then, although you have not yet witnessed the scenery of your own fundamental state fully, 
though you have not yet seen your own original face clearly, what was raw will become ripe and what was stale will become fresh. Be sure to remember where you save power is where you gain power. They have this uh, this meme in uh, Chinese Chinese Buddhism, Zen at least, uh, about uh, saving power, conserving. Another translation is conserving power, conserving energy, and it's it's all it's all refers to not dwelling in thoughts, basically. Thoughts drain our energy. And when we're not caught in thoughts, then we are, as he says, saving power. And that means gaining it. And he says, every time I say this to people, it always seems that I've said it over and over. I know what he means. Most, most take it lightly and won't consent to make it their task. You should try to work like this for only ten days or so, and then you will see for yourself whether you are saving power or not saving power, whether you are gaining power or not gaining power. Yeah, we do this. Make it seven days, or even fewer days. We do this, we discover that after seven days, we have a lot of energy. Because we haven't been picking through our thoughts, weaving and sifting on and on pointlessly in our thoughts. So we save energy, we gain energy, we mobilize energy. It's already happening now after three and a half days. It will continue to happen. And this is not just a, a superficial thing. Oh, good, lots of energy, like uh, taking speed or something. The energy, the energy gives us the power. That's the, another word he uses. The power to uh, pull free, pull our attention free of our thoughts this is what it's all about. We're so, we're so habituated to dwelling in our thoughts that it does take power to turn it, turn away from the thoughts, return to the practice over and over and over. That becomes easier as the days pass in Sashin. Yes, we also, if we're going with less sleep, there's also, in a, in a different way, uh, there is some uh, fatigue coming. Everyone gets tired by the end of the session, but simultaneously there is this mobilizing of energy because we're not squandering it in our thoughts as much as we do outside session. You will see for yourself whether you are saving power or not saving power, whether you are gaining power or not gaining power.
This is what the Japanese call joriki. It's a great asset to have in working with the mind. And then he again uh, addresses... He continues, You will be like someone who drinks water and knows for himself whether it is cold or warm. In other words, direct experience. You cannot tell another person about it. You cannot show it to anyone. An ancient master said, When you speak of realization, you cannot show it to others. When you speak of the truth, you cannot do it without realization. That way, only if you have realized and attained and believed and awakened to that which one must realize and attain and believe and awaken to for himself do you reach harmony. If one has not realized, and not only will he have no faith for himself, but also he'll not believe that anyone else has attained this realm. Old layman, by nature you are near the path. Your present determined actions and conduct do not need any change. In comparison with other people, you've already gotten nine point no nine. 199, let's see, 9,999 parts out of 10,000. You just lack that final burst of power. And these last words of his could be said exactly to everyone here. To have get gone this far in Sashin, sitting day and night, you've already gotten 9,999 parts out of 10,000. What about that last part? That last surge to finally break free of this discursive mind, break free of the self, which is nothing but an idea, a concept. Those who study the path often understand rationally without getting to the reality. Without discussion and thought, here he's referring to probably the recipient of the letter indirectly, but uh, those who have life in uh, government service and um, the intellectuals. Without discussion and thought, they are at a loss with no place to put their hands and feet. They won't believe that where there is no place to put one's hands and feet is really a good situation. This is what we were talking about earlier. It takes courage, doesn't it? It takes courage to leave this known and familiar world of thoughts and venture out beyond them into 
What? What is beyond them? Find out. The Buddha said, the Tathagata, that's the Buddha referring to himself, the Tathagata uses all sorts of similes to explain all kinds of things, but there is no simile that can explain the Dharma. Why? Because the road of intellectual knowledge is cut off. The Dharma is inconceivable. That is, it can't be encompassed in concepts. Those are the Buddha's words. And now, Dawei, truly we know that thought and discrimination obstruct the path. If you can cut off before and after, so the past and the future, then the road of intellectual knowledge will be cut off by itself. If you can cut off the road of intellectual knowledge, then talk of all kinds of things is all this Dharma. Once this Dharma is clear, then this very clarity is the state of inconceivable great liberation. This state itself is impossible to conceive. Since the state is inconceivable, all similes are also inconceivable, and all kinds of things are also inconceivable. And this inconceivability itself is also inconceivable. These words, too, are inapplicable, and this inapplicability is also inconceivable. (laughs) Pushing on like this ever more exhaustively, whether it's things or the Dharma, similes or states, they're like a circle with no starting point, no beginning and no end. All are the inconceivable Dharma. The Mumon Khan Zen Master Mumon says, you describe it in vain, you picture it to no avail. There is nowhere to hide your true self. It's it, what he's saying is so so profound, but it 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 took me a long time for that to to get it that it's not anything we can conceive of this true nature of ours or picture or imagine. Another Chinese master put it very simply, it does not enter through thought. We'll stop now and recite the four vows.
all beings without number, I liberate endless blind passion, I bow Dharma gates beyond measure, I bow to penetrate the great way of Buddha, I bow to attain all beings without number, I bow to liberate endless blind passions, I bow Dharma gates beyond measure, I bow to penetrate the great way of Buddha, I bow to attain all beings without number, I bow to liberate endless blind passion. I bow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure I bow to penetrate The great way of Buddha I bow to attain